0: Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 23, and we were basically dealing with approximately five different issues. One of the first things we dealt with was bearing a false witness. Now, you can look at this in the issue of, say, for instance, if you're dealing with a court, court participants, and you can always talk about the issue of how one should never speak falsely in an incident or for the purpose of helping someone or for the purpose of injuring someone. And so the idea that Moses was giving is simply that in the bearing of false witness, especially in court incidences, you should always speak the truth. And this goes back to the 10 commandments in which God spoke of, of bearing false witness. Now, Always, you should be able to see in some way or another, whether in a distant or in a nearby, that is, it will closely resemble or it will more distantly resemble one of the Ten Commandments when we look at the covenant commandments of God. So, always kind of look for this particular uh, thing when looking at the entirety of the law, or that is, the covenant law. We call the principal law basically. The Ten Commandments. The covenant law basically is the other commandments developed out of the Ten Commandments that give further explanation to those commandments or basically it expounds on those commandments. So what we saw here in 23, let's go back to here, uh, was the issue of bearing false witness. And then we saw the sabbatical rule. That is the year of Sabbath for the land, six years to work the land. On the seventh year, allow the land to rest. Also going along with six days to work and the seventh day to work. And this is the principle of the Sabbath. Also going back to what? The commandment of the Lord to keep the commandment of the Sabbath. Then we have the three festive or feasts. Spoken of the festive occasion, these were the occasions which all Jewish males were commanded to appear before the Lord three times a year. There were the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, also called the feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Ingathering, and then there was the feast of the harvest, also called Sukkot. Now, when we get into the book of Leviticus, we'll speak more about these particular feasts and their spiritual meanings. Once we get there. And then finally, the final thing that God talked about was how he comforted or should I even say he strengthened the faith of the Israelites by telling them he would fight their battles. He would go before them even in a supernatural manner in order to fight their battles. So they should always remember that the battle is not theirs. It is the Lord and all success that they do have or that they will have is due to God and God alone. Okay, now with that, we prepare ourselves into going into verse chapter 24, where we are preparing to ratify this particular covenant. Remember, everything from basically Exodus chapters 20, 21, 22, 23, framework for the covenant a foundation for the covenant by the which israel will be brought into the covenant or the covenant would be ratified and all of that stuff that i just said earlier how this framework prepares us for further things okay so now we get into the literal ratification of the covenant in verse in chapter 24 so let's just go there so i can stop stumbling all right chapter 24 Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. So now here we have basically preparation for the ratification of the covenant. And so let me just say it right now, since we're kind of doing it a little backwards as it is in the scripture, that Moses, Aaron, and his three sons, as well as 70 elders of Israel are to go up to the mountain of the Lord. And this will be a post celebration after the covenant has been ratified. So what God is doing is he's preparing Moses for those who will come up to the mountain After the covenant has been ratified, Aaron and his sons and 70 of the elders of Israel. Take note of the number 70, always based upon what? Seven based upon the idea of completion or totality. But we're not going to get into that. But these are to draw near unto God. But this is not to be close, close to God But nearer unto God because they are coming up to the mountain of God. And remember, the mountain was prohibited by God earlier in the text. Okay. So they are going to draw near, but but the rest of the people are to stay away from God, keep their distance from God. This speaks to again maintaining that holiness of God by keeping others from a distance. Okay. Verse number three, then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Okay, so now the next set of events is to prepare for the literal, or should I even say, the official ratification of the covenant. So Moses comes down from God and he speaks to the people all the words of the covenant. He speaks to them and the people accepts the covenant of God and simply says that they will obey the word of the Lord. And then Moses begins the officiating of this. So he writes down all the words of the covenant. And once he writes the words of the covenant, down, you see, you can understand the official, uh, officialness of the covenant by the writing it down. And then once again, he spoke those words. He read them from which what he had written down all the words of the covenant to the people and the people once again bound themselves with an oath saying that everything that God had commanded, they will be obedient to all of these words. Now Moses prepares for the ratification of that covenant which the people just made. So he got young men, And these young men probably came from the firstborn of Israel that God had taken in Exodus chapter 12 and 13 that God had taken as a ransom to himself. But nevertheless, he got those young men to take bulls and goats and things of that nature to prepare for the sacrifices. And so they got up and they and they took these animals, sacrificed these animals. And then Moses also had an altar made for the Lord. He had 12 foundational stones which represented the children of Israel and all and in this altar itself, it represented God. So basically what you will have is this. You will have the people standing as representative for themselves or should I even say the elders of the people standing in for all of the nation of Israel. And then you would have the altar standing in in place of God. And so Once that these particular offerings were made, they made, let me bring this to your attention, they made burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now, even though I won't talk at length about this, once again, when we get into the book of Leviticus, we'll speak more about these offerings. But let me just give you the idea. By the burnt offering, it signified total dedication. So therefore when they offered their burnt offerings on behalf of Israel before God to God, it was that it was symbolizing that the nation is now totally dedicated to Yahweh and to Yahweh alone, to the Lord alone. And in the offering of their peace offering, it was a symbolic gesture of now the nation has peace with God. And always remember in each of these offerings, there is always the remembrance of blood because in order to do these offerings, an animal had to die, the blood had to be shed. But nevertheless, burnt offering, the nation totally dedicated. Peace offering, the nation having peace with God because of its dedication unto God. Okay. Now, once this was done, he commanded those young men to take blood, Blood was captured in a, basin, and, and, in a basin and blood was poured on the altar by the idea of pouring the blood on the altar. Once again, it brings us back to that covenant manner, the manner in which they made covenants in those days. The idea was by the shedding of the blood of this animal, whomsoever should break the covenant, his blood shall be shed, that is death. That's why this is called a blood covenant. And therefore, since the blood is poured upon the altar, symbolizing God, God is entering into covenant with Israel that he should not break the covenant. That is the stipulations of these covenant agreement. He will not break it upon his sacred oath because we know it is impossible for God to die. It is also impossible for God to lie. Therefore, it is impossible for God to experience death. Hence, it is impossible for God to break his covenant. God is always faithful. Okay. And then he would take the rest of the blood. Oh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So the blood is sprinkled on the altar Indicating God is now coming into this covenant agreement with Israel. Now let's continue and get to the rest of it or the other half of it. Nine. I'm sorry. Oh, I did. Verse number eight. I'm sorry, guys. Then the other basin of blood that was captured. This basin was sprinkled on the people, namely the elders of the people. And this indicates the people coming into covenant with God. So you have what? God making a covenant, blood covenant with Israel through the sprinkling of blood, the blood that is sprinkled upon the altar and the blood that is sprinkled on the elders of the people. Okay, so now they are officially God and Israel in a covenantal relationship. And this will be based upon those laws that are being revealed to Moses. And this is why we call it the law. Of Moses. Okay. Now let's continue. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel and under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of Sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God and they ate and drank. Okay. Now, normally what takes place in in that time after the covenant has been ratified and there exists peace between those who made the covenant is the eating of a covenantal meal. And this is what now Moses, Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders of Israel, it doesn't say whether Moses ate, he may have or may not, but This is what they are doing now. This is what was talked about at the beginning of this chapter when God says to prepare Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders to come up to the mountain. After the covenant has been ratified, they are now on the mountain of God. They are drawn a little closer to God. That is, the people cannot, but the elders can. And they eat a celebratory meal, a peace meal, which was the normal thing to do saying that there is now peace between the two covenant makers, between God and Israel. Then notice that the text said they saw God, that is to be taken in the literal sense, God in some way, and we believe this to be the pre-incarnate Christ, that is Jesus, or should I even say it this way, a theophany of Christ, that is Jesus in some way making himself visible to be seen by men. Why we say it's Jesus? Because no man has ever seen God the Father at any time. It is only Jesus who has made these appearances that we see when God makes an appearance in the Old Testament. It is always the second person of the divine Trinity. So here is Jesus. Here is God as the elders are eating this celebratory meal before him. And notice that they said, they He did not lay his hands upon them. Why? Because it was believed that if any man ever saw God, he would instantly die. This is also what we see by Jacob himself when he names the place where he wrestled, not with an angel, but with God. He named the place, what? Peniel, which means face of God. What did he say? For I have seen God and my life was preserved. So therefore, these elders of Israel enjoyed this meal in the presence of God. They saw him and God did not strike them. Okay. So now let's continue on as we prepare for Moses to ascend closer to the mountain and the rest of the covenant to be given to him, but some preliminary things to be done just before that. So verse, 11, verse 12, Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders, he said, wait, wait here for us until we return to you and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. However, whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Okay. So now God commands Moses to draw up to the mountain, draw nearer unto him to the mountain. And quite naturally, Moses sends Aaron, his three sons, and the 70 elders of Israel down from the mountain. The meal is over and Moses is being prepared to receive additional commandments. So as Moses gets ready to go up to the mountain to God, he tells the nation that he has left Aaron and Ur in charge of any matters that develop among the people. So any judgment that has to be rendered, Aaron and Ur are left in charge. And also too, you got those 70 elders of the people, but Moses explicitly left the elders in charge, while Moses himself with Joshua, his servant. That's why Joshua is called the servant of Moses. Why Joshua goes up the mountain with Moses. Now, Joshua does not go all the way up to the mountain where Moses would go to meet with God. Of course, he would only go part of the way up. But Joshua went part of the way up and basically remained there waiting on Moses. We'll see that as we get on to other chapters i think it's around chapter 34 but anyway so joshua goes up part of the way and moses himself would go up all of the way up to the mountain of god okay and again notice i forgot to make mention of this that when the elders of israel as well as aaron and his son saw god notice the glory of the pavement that was under his feet this speaks of the glory of god even though God is allowing himself to be seen, this theophany, this epiphany of God, even though he's allowing this, he is still the glorious one. Okay, but enough about that. So now let's continue on and wrap the chapter up. It's a lot quicker than I thought. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the clouds And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay. So now Moses goes up the mountain and then the cloud of God representing what the glory of God and also not allowing the people to gaze upon the Lord. But, Moses went up through those thick clouds and there as he waited on God, he waited for six days before God even began to speak to him. And it was not until the seventh day that God actually began to speak the words unto Moses. And there he would prepare for them as it was stated earlier, the commandments that God had earlier spoken to them That is the Ten Commandments and even further of the Covenant Commandments. That will happen on the seventh day up until the end of the 40th day that Moses is upon the mountain. Okay, so while Moses was on the mountain, the cloud of God, the glory cloud covered the mountain. When the people looked towards the mountain at Moses, they're trying to look towards Moses, but as they looked toward to Moses, they could see how it was like a mountain that was on fire. And this is the idea that was in the, writer of the, in, in the mind of the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 when he said that our God is a consuming fire. So the mountain looked like it burned. And can you imagine that as Moses is in that cloud when it looks like it literally just speaks of the glory of God. And there Moses was on the mountain to receive the further commandments and instructions of God for 40 days and 40 nights. And he would tell us later on in the book of Deuteronomy how he didn't eat nor drink for those days. It shows the loyalty and the faithfulness Moses not only had towards God, but also as a mediator towards Israel, between God and Israel. Moses was truly, as Jesus said, he was faithful in the house, or the writer of Hebrews said he was faithful in the house of God. Okay, thanks for joining me with that. Join me next time as we continue in the book of Exodus in chapter 25, as God begins to give them instructions for the building of him, a dwelling place, which we call the tabernacle of God. Now we know that this could be really detailed in how God does it. We're going to try to not concentrate on every little detail, but the overall structure, which is glorious. And you'll find out that the tabernacle actually speaks of Jesus, the things that Jesus would do, the works that Jesus would accomplish, the person of Jesus that is God who dwells with us. See you next time.